gave me faith to go on Now we're there and we've only just begun This will be our year Took a long time to come Good morning and welcome to episode 288 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. Hello. Are we to Tommy John's win total yet? Uh, is it 288 or is that Jim Cott? I don't know. If I knew... <laughs> then you would know the answer to that question. I would have stated it in a much different time. Uh, Tommy John, yeah, 288. So, so uh, yeah, this is it. All right. <laughs> All right. Made it. Super underwhelming now that we're here. <laughs> this was our goal. How come we've been talking about this for so long, you and I, about getting to Tommy John's win total? It's all we ever talk about, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, often. Since like the fourth episode. That was, that was our goal when we started this podcast to get to... Seems like a weird goal. <laughs> um, I had a f- couple follow-ups from yesterday's podcast, if you don't have anything else to say. I have two things to I have two things to say. Hmm. One of which I have to go before you. Okay. Uh, if you Google Tommy John, uh, he is not the first result, and his search uh, his surgery is also not the, the first result. A oh, underwear yes. un, underwear retailer is <laughs> yeah, the first result. I noticed that one day when I when we did that Tommy John listener email and I was searching for intro sounds. All the all the videos I could find were about Tommy John under undershirts. <laughs> so, All right, now you you can do yours, and then I'll, uh, I'll do mine. So I just wanted to to mention because I I meant to to bring it up on the show yesterday. Uh, I feel like the the Todd Helton case, the discussion that we had, Larry Walker is sort of a relevant data point for for that. Um, in that they're they're I guess in overall production, sort of similar players, but Walker's probably a better player. Would you agree? He has a better case, or he's a better player. Yeah, um, yeah, certainly. Uh, uh, but you know, also spent a lot of his career not in Coors Field. Yeah, uh, so doesn't right. quite pollute the argument as much. Not quite. Say. Yeah, uh, but Larry Walker got. Let me see what percentage he got. About twenty percent, I think. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, his first year, he got 20.3, and then 22.9, and then 21.6. So almost flat in his first three years of eligibility. So I feel like that's, I guess, the over-under for, for Helton. Um, and I guess I would take the under, or should be the under, I would think. Anyway, that's something I wanted to mention in the discussion, and I didn't. And Can I, can uh, I say something about Larry Walker real quick? Yeah, and a listener named Neil uh, also emailed us about that to ask what our thoughts on Walker was, so I wanted to incorporate that. So, yeah, what's your Walker thought? Well, I've sometimes kicked around the idea of doing, a, and maybe this has been done, but doing a fantasy draft of, um, like, not, it wouldn't really be a draft because you, you, knew, you would already know what happened, but basically like ranking the greatest fantasy seasons of all time. Mm -hmm. And the first one I always think of is Larry Walker's 97 season, Mm. when obviously for reasons that were somewhat bolstered by his circumstances, but he hit 366, and at the time, of course, it was all 5 by 5 right? So you can ignore the rest. But he hit 366, 452, 720, uh, and he had 49 homers, stole 33 bases, drove in 130, and scored 143 runs. (laughs) Not bad. 208 hits, 208 hits, 46 doubles, uh, 99 extra base hits. That was his so, MVP year. It was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of a kind of a kind of a good year. Pretty good year, yeah. Um, 
The other thing that I wanted to mention, uh, since we were kind of calling out people who were doing the, huh, that 97 season was only a six win season, according to us. So that's the, that's the cores adjustment. Um, mm-hmm. and also bad, bad defensive rating that year from us anyway. Uh, since we were calling out people who were doing the, the postseason narrative building and writing articles about how being hot in September is all important yesterday, I wanted to to compliment a couple people on, on not doing that or recognize a couple people who didn't do that. Um, Almost everybody in the world, in fact, is going to be mentioned <laughs> right now for not writing that article yesterday. But these couple people wrote the opposite of that article. Uh, ah, so, so Mark Bradley, who's who's a columnist for the Atlanta Journal Constitution and is a, a good good guy, friend of friend of BP, um, and also Evan Drellich, who is a Red Sox beat writer for MassLive.com and the Springfield Republican, had perfect opportunities to write that article because the Red Sox are you know winning every game, so you could certainly write the article about how they're peaking at the right time and they're going in strong. The Braves are not really having a good September. I think they're having a losing September. So you could you could write that opposite article if you if you wrote for the Atlanta Journal Constitution. But neither of those guys did that. They actually both contacted me to ask whether BP had done any research on this topic and and what sabermetricians thought of this. And then they they wrote they wrote the story accordingly and cited cited the research and everything. So. Um, so I'm glad that they did that. Not that not that everyone should consult me before writing articles, and really all I did was just sort of point them to to work that other people had done. But but it's it's nice that that you did that because uh, I mean you'd think it would be the the natural impulse to either do that research or see if it's out there already, uh, but it often isn't. So they did it. So good. Huzzah. Yes. Okay. I don't need to say anything. Uh, We'll just move on. Okay. Um, so my topic was going to be on ranking rootability of contenders. Okay. What's yours? Um, mine is about free agents going year to year. Mm. Okay. Uh, who goes first? I guess uh, I'll go first. Okay. Uh, so uh, a couple years ago when I wrote about C.J. Wilson's uh, free agency experience, um and he talked about the negotiations and what it was like to be negotiating with the team. One of the things that struck me is that like the dollars involved were basically agreed on almost immediately. And then they just negotiated, uh, how many years so that the annual value is negotiated almost immediately. And then they were just negotiating years and it was all almost entirely about getting an extra year, uh, for, for Wilson. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, I think pretty common. The, the goal for these guys when they're free agents is in a lot of ways to get, as many years as possible, which makes sense because you, I mean, you know that you're, pro, you know, if you get worse or if you get, you know, a broken back or something like that, that you're going to be getting paid for a, a really long time. It makes sense. That's what the player's incentive probably, you know, should be. Um, but I've, I've, I've sort of been wondering, like, whether we'll ever see a player who is so confident in his abilities or, or maybe just, you know, bold or something and just decides, you know what, I'm going to go year to year. I'm going to go year to year for my entire career. I'm not going to take the discount that obviously comes, the per, you know, the per, per year discount 
that you give up mm -hmm. uh, in order to sign for a longer contract. I'm going to just let my skills play themselves out and and see how much you know I make that way. And and th to some degree, you Tim Lincecum showed kind of glimpses of this. This is actually what made me think about it. Mm -hmm. Tim Tim Lincecum uh, sort of during his all his pre-arb and early arb years was really resistant to the idea of, of a, signing a deal that would buy out his arbitration years and, and some of his free agency because he, he said, you know, I'm pretty, I, I like the motivation of going year to year, um, keeps me hungry. And, you know, it ended up working out really well for him to, to some degree. I mean, he was making record setting arbitration uh, totals, uh, which he wouldn't have, have had if he had signed a, you know, a five year deal when he was in his second year. Um, and so Lindsay kind of showed a, a little bit of that. Um, but like, I'm sort of just wondering whether you think we'll ever see a player do this. And so to give a hypothetical, uh, you know, if you're talking about a guy like, you know, Mark Teixeira, he would have, he would have lost everything, right? I mean, instead mm -hmm. of getting $160 million from the Yankees or 180, it's 180. Yeah. Instead of getting $180 million from the Yankees, he probably would have ended up making, you know, probably half that over the life of that deal or, you know, maybe, maybe a hundred, but that's still pretty good. You take a guy like Miguel Cabrera, though, um, where everything has gone well for him, and who knows what he'd be making right now. I mean, what do you think Miguel Cabrera would be making if he had been a free agent last year or willing to sign a, a one-year contract for 2013? Um, 40? You think 40? Yeah. 40? Yeah, I, I, and we don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. it seems like you can really easily make the case that, that a guy would be worth 40, and might get forty, and might even get more than forty, uh, because it's it's short. You know, it's a short deal. There's very limited risk from the team's perspective, and it's, um, you know, basically at, at when you're only talking one year in the future, you can almost just bank those wins. On the other hand, it might just be such a sticker shock in the short term, and you might look at it as like forty million dollars is such a huge percentage of a team's budget mm -hmm. um, that it might actually be harder to to do that, and it might be that. GMs would actually refuse to kind of be rational about it. But you have to assume that, that everybody is rational when they're negotiating for these things. And that if clubs are willing to essentially overpay free agents in years, which they do, they do it, almost, I mean, almost every contract is an overpay in length. They all turn out bad, it seems like, mm -hmm. uh, because of that. If they're willing to overpay in years, you'd think they would be willing to overpay in dollars instead. So, uh, so Robinson Cano... Uh, is going to be a free agent. Uh, what do you think Robinson Cano is going to get this winter? Uh, uh, I think he could he could potentially be a $30 million guy. Um, uh -huh. uh, uh, per year. Yeah. And over... For, over... Uh, I don't know, I'd say six years. I would give anything to be able to see what you Google while we're recording. Because, like, what did you just Google? How much is Robinson Cano going to get paid? Like, that's not on the internet. Nobody knows. I just went to his baseball. Were you just looking up I just who went he to is? His were you making, <laughs> went to his just baseball. making sure we're talking about the same guy? Yeah. Went to his baseball reference phase because it just it, it gives me comfort to be looking at a player's <laughs> stats while I speculate wildly uh, about oh, him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, look at this. Oh, the, oh he was an all-star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he won won a gold, won a couple gold gloves. What? Yeah, you need to know if he was rookie of the year or runner up. Yeah, before he was runner up. So that 
<laughs> yes. All right. So anyway, what did you say? I missed because I was trying to get you in my head. Uh, I said he could be a thirty million dollar guy and maybe could. I I could see him getting like six years in that amount. Um, but he's not going to take six years. He's going to go to the team that gives him the longest deal. He's going to get eight years. Yeah. Okay. So I don't I don't think he will average thirty million over an over the life of an eight year contract but it will be it would be close high so 20s like, certainly you think high 20s see i was thinking eight and 200 is nice and round i could see him getting eight and 200 yeah I could see what him. are you googling are you doing are you dividing 200 by eight i could see him getting uh i could see him getting more than that it, i guess he's he hasn't i mean he's played at basically the same same level he was at last year almost exactly so um, so yeah, I, I think he could get more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So now, uh, uh, alternate question is what would he get if he only wanted, if he only wanted one year? Mm. Well, I said 40 for Cabrera. So I, I guess you'd have to say like 35 for Cano. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. That's, you're not, that, you're not yeah, that's giving not much enough. of a discount. That's not enough. Yeah. yeah. So it's really not enough. So I probably underestimated what Cabrera would get for one year, or what what he should get for one year, maybe. Because because uh-huh. yeah, I think I think Cano should get forty for one year. Yeah. So the obvious, I mean, what people will say is, oh well, you know, Cano, it's just so risky if he goes year to year. You know, he's a second baseman. If he, you know, he's he might not age well. He's probably not going to age well. Cause second baseman don't age well, and you know, uh, he he'll just be giving up so much money on the back end. But I mean, you have to figure just that that teams know all of that when they're doing the math. And so, you know, they're essentially trying to pay him uh, the right amount. They're trying to uh, incorporate that risk and that decline appropriately. I guess the que- the thing is that teams are bad at that math, I guess, is what we've, we've learned. And so I don't know why we think, I don't know why they're bad at that. Why do we think they're bad at that? Because if it might be that for players, teams are just essentially handing out free money in these long-term deals for some reason that wouldn't translate to one-year deals. Like maybe it's just, maybe it's the GM knowing that the sixth year doesn't really matter for him because he's either not going to be around at that point or he's going to have a world series ring and, and people will forgive whatever the guy's doing. Yeah. And you, you can't count on that for this year. If, if Miguel Cabrera, uh, you know, turned into, um, you know, like had an Andrew Jones like collapse next year and you had paid him 40 million, uh, you know, you might lose your job over it, but if if seven years from now he's not worth his contract because he's in his late thirties, eh, who's paying attention? And right? there's often or, I, I wonder I wonder what percentage of those long term deals that don't seem to make sense come from ownership. I feel like certainly a, a higher percentage of those moves than than your your typical move, which is handled by the baseball operations people. It seems that there are, I mean. You know, like the Prince Fielder move where Michael it's just sort of stepped in, it seemed like, or Boris appealed to him directly. Um, and maybe some of the Angels moves with Artie Moreno. or I mean, it, it, it's often the case that uh, the person with the most money and maybe the least baseball knowledge is the one pushing for those things. Um, why would why would that guy if if it's the owner doing it though, why wouldn't he rather commit only forty million dollars instead of committing? 
a quarter of a billion dollars because he's not he's never going to go broke uh-huh. giving out one bad deal. But yeah. you know, I mean, a quarter of a million dollars is actually a quarter of a billion dollars is actually a lot of money even to a billionaire. Yeah. Um, so you would think that they would really prefer the one year deal. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, the the whole point is that you would they would pay a lot more for a one year deal, presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe that's just not true. Maybe it's just the. I mean, there's some value to a player in being settled somewhere. Right. I mean, even aside from the injury risk and and the risk that you won't be able to to make as much in the long term because you'll get hurt or something, there's some value to knowing where you'll be and being able to, you know, settle your family somewhere and not have to deal with rumors about where you'll be going all season. And I mean, yeah, there's there is there's also a lot of value to the opposite, though. I mean, you mm -hmm. never you don't get. Um, you don't get stuck on a bad team for six years in a row. Mm. You don't get your, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about, um, you know, being moved off a position you don't like when you get older uh, quite so readily. I mean, you would have a little bit more choice about that. You could go to a team that doesn't have, you know, if you're a shortstop and you want to play shortstop, you don't, you know, you don't have to play for a team that's got Jose Iglesias coming up or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, a lot of benefit to the flexibility of it. And I mean, certainly the team that's an, I think actually that's another key factor. If, if, a, if, if as is kind of sabermetric orthodoxy is true and a win that pushes you from 85 wins to 86 is more valuable than one that pushes you from 75 to 76, then teams are constantly spending dollars that they would rather not spend because they locked up this guy to a long-term deal. And then they dipped below that threshold. So like the Astros paying Carlos Lee that money all those years, it wasn't just that Carlos Lee was bad and not worth the money. It was that the Astros had no need for a guy like Carlos Lee where other teams would have. So in fact, if you could negotiate with a team that most wants your services every year, that is the best fit for you, Mm -hmm. there would actually be more efficiency in it. You would actually, you should presumably be able to get even more money that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So someone, someone, someone do it. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> I'd like to see someone. I, we might. I'd like to see Harper do it. I could see. Mm. I could see Harper doing it just, just because. Because <laughs> like, that guy it's, never. He, it's the he equivalent of. Doubt. It's the equivalent of running into an outfield fence financially. It is. <laughs> yes, exactly. It is. It, nothing's going to change the way he negotiates for one-year deals. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I think it it maybe could become more likely. I, I like I could I could kind of imagine Cabrera being maybe the the last of the big overpays on a long term. Like if the if the TV money and the TV bubble doesn't doesn't last that long and teams don't have unlimited money to spend. I I don't know. I could kind of see them getting smarter and cutting back on these long term deals. And if they're a little less willing to to hand those out, then they'll be a little more willing to do the short term deals, and maybe players will will adjust to the idea, and it will be something that actually happens. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. The only explanation for it not happening is that teams are dumb. Is is apparently that teams are behaving irrationally as a group mm-hmm. and giving, uh, yeah, that these long term deals are. Uh, ridiculous and they pro- they seem to be so i'm not saying that that's not a good explanation that might actually be 
a perfectly valid explanation. But if they stop doing that, then yeah, we, we'd see this. I'd like to see someone try it. Anyway, go ahead. Let's talk about your thing. Uh, okay, so David, uh, David Schoenfield at, at ESPN Sweet Spot blog just ranked the contenders by rootability, according to him. Uh, he ranked he ranked 14 teams, uh, and he used five criteria, uh, basically the, the franchise misery, um, how, how good their 2013 storyline is, their star factor, uh, their payroll, Star and, factor seems like star factor seems like it would have a negative correlation to rootability. Uh, I don't know. I, to me, it would. To me, it to would every, probably. Every, to I the mean, average fan, I'm not sure it would. Well, to the average David Schoenfeld reader, though. Mm. Yeah. I mean, who wasn't who wasn't rooting for the A's and the Orioles last year? Yeah, you're right. Uh, and fan support is the last one. Um, so he ranked these, and they all actually ended up. Pretty pretty close together. Uh, the obvious the obvious winner of the rootability ranking was the Pirates. Uh, he actually had the Yankees in last, um, which I guess probably makes sense. We talked about this recently, but <laughs> where just, are you from? I of just, course, the Yankees are last. I just think they get they get a, a nice 2013 storyline boost. Uh, and he did the Yankees would the Yankees would be more rootable if they signed Delman Young, I believe. <laughs> And Josh Lukey. That's uh-huh. how unrootable the Yankees are uh-huh. to most of the country. To most of the country. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so I wanted to 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 know your your rootability rankings, or uh, and and we're just talking about how how interesting the story is, or or how much you want to see them go deep into the playoffs because you just want to see them play more baseball uh, and get more recognition for. For what they've done, or how they've built, or what players they have, or whatever it is, um, just just going going down the likely the playoff teams or the the strong contenders. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. First, I'd like to just establish my criteria for okay. for rootability. They're slightly different. My number one criteria is always which team I think is the smartest or has behaved the most smartly. Uh-huh. I like to see I like to see baseball make sense. Um, so I tend to root for what it, whichever front office either I, I feel like has done the best or that I have uh, kind of publicly approved of most of their moves because mm. um, you sort of get locked into your opinions to some degree. And my second uh, element of rootability is, um, is the team whose fans ha- get the least out of it if they don't win. Like if you go to an A's game, you get nothing if the A's don't win. There are no perks there is nothing good about it <laughs> like it just sucks to go to an A's game except because of this because it sucks so bad to do anything but win like the joy of a win is is palpable I mean it really is an incredible atmosphere to to watch a win in mm-hmm. and so I I root for I really want everybody to get their money's worth um, and so I always root for a team where I feel like the fans kind of have the most uh, sadness in their in their hearts uh-huh. in their lives. So uh, so, <laughs> so, this... so like I I would say I would root for I would root for for that's a that's a kind of a proxy way of saying I would root for underdogs. Mm-hmm. I would root for teams with uh, histories of, of failure, and I would root from uh, root for teams from kind of industrial um, and sort of bankrupt cities. Hmm. <laughs> okay, uh, so that means that you're rooting for the Tigers, the Rays, the A's and 
Uh, well, that was just one criteria, though. I had a previous criteria that, that I named first. Yeah, so you've got a bunch there. Um, okay, so, so who's on top then? Uh, all right, so the first two spots would be the A's and the Rays. Mm-hmm. And um, prob- probably this year, the A's, because I spent so much of the I spent a lot of August uh, following them and mm-hmm. in their in their park in their clubhouse and I so I have a, a little bit of a soft spot for them right now mm-hmm. so uh, A's would be number one um, Rays would be number two uh, Rangers would be number three mm-hmm. Rangers are always high for me because I like their front office so much mm-hmm. um, Cardinals probably would be number four. I can't get into the Pirates for hmm. some reason. They, I should, but I, I just can't. I haven't. I haven't really gotten that into them yet. I'm surprised. Five would be. Five so, would be the Indians. So you still haven't named the Pirates. I still haven't named the Pirates. I don't think I've named an NL team. Strangely, hmm. five would be the Indians. Six would be the. Well, it would have been. I've always been a. It, I've always found it very easy to root for the Red Sox, but at this point, I don't. I just can't. Yeah. Can't. I finally have come around to what everybody has been saying. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, six would probably be the, um, the yeah, the Pirates. Oh, I did say the Cardinals, right? Uh, did you? If I didn't say the Cardinals, mm. I should have said them. Okay, yeah. Number five. Mm-hmm. But, uh, then the Cardinals, uh, oh, sorry, the Pirates, six-ish. Mm. Uh, and then I would go um, Detroit, seven, probably. Uh, Braves, eight. Red Sox, nine. And I'm not even counting the Orioles and the Yankees, should I be? I guess the, yeah. the Orioles would have been somewhere up around six mm-hmm. or five, ahead of the Pirates. The Yankees would be down near the bottom. The Braves would be down near the bottom, and the Dodgers would be last. So are the Pirates getting dinged because PNC Park is a nice place to go and watch a baseball game? And so fans get, get something no. out of it then? No, the Pirates are being dinged for reasons having nothing to do with my criteria. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> sure. I just. I don't have an emotional connection to huh. what they've been doing. But they've got. They've got the smart thing going. I know. They seem to. They. Yeah. They have certainly fan. Fan misery and underdogness. Um, yeah. Well, the other thing about rootability is that there's an arbitrariness to all of it. We all root for things arbitrarily. Yeah. Uh, I just said the same sentence twice, but I <laughs> kind of rearranged the words. <laughs> yeah, um, I, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I, the pirates would probably be near the top of my list. I don't. I, I guess I don't. I don't have any particular emotional connection to them, but just uh, just evaluating which team I should be rooting for, they seem to be at the top. Um, if yeah, anything, I, just because we haven't haven't seen them in the playoffs year after year, and. They have an interesting sabermetric side of their story, um, and they yeah. I support been... supporting them. I just, yeah. just don't support them myself for some. I don't know why. <laughs> You're right. They 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 fit. They fit. Everybody's rooting for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good to root for them. I probably I would say that it might just be that I I don't know the Cardinals. I I just think the Cardinals are just such the the cream of the the crop in baseball that mm-hmm. um, I think that you know I sort of maybe have put them. Uh, up against the Cardinals in my mind, so maybe that's why. I also forgot to say the Reds. The Reds would be just kind of a, I don't, a mid, mid-tier, a little middle, maybe a little low. I, I rooted against them last year in the postseason and because <laughs> they were playing the Giants, uh-huh. and so maybe I just have a little bit of lingeringness uh-huh. to that. I don't have 
any real animus <laughs> against them in case anybody is <laughs> wanting to start that again. Uh-huh. So then, so it doesn't matter to you that the Cardinals have it. The fact that they've been so successful just makes you want them to succeed more. You want their success and their their good process and way of putting a team together just to be rewarded year after year, as long as they're still doing those smart things. I guess I don't put it that way exactly because there are teams that are successful that I have not I'm not as impressed with for whatever reason yeah. but yeah the Card- the Cardinals and the Rangers have been for the last few years I've just have admired I've admired every everything they've done and, and the way that they've put their teams together um and, in the same way that I admired the Red Sox a lot in the in the middle of the last decade so that's interesting so you don't really have any any fatigue with those guys you don't want to see someone else just for the sake of seeing someone else uh, well, there's there's five teams in the postseason on each in each league, and it's not like it's not like the Cardinals have won the World Series six years in a row. They they won it once, and I you know every five years or so I see them. Mm-hmm. But um, no, no fatigue. Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, I think uh, well, I'd be higher on the Pirates than you were. Um, probably higher on the Yankees. Uh, similarly low on the Dodgers. Um, I think I'd be higher on the Tigers just because I, I kind of want to see their their team strength rewarded. Like I feel like I feel like they're just a really good team, and I want to see them some see them win. They've kind of they've kind of underplayed expectations. In, yeah, that's in this, why I this regular season and last regular season. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I kind of want to. That's why I'm not on fire for them. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I kind of want to see them see them do well um, and be rewarded for for putting a good team together, even if it's not really a any sort of sabermetric narrative to it. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. I enjoy watching some of their players, um, and I don't know. Probably wouldn't differ too much on the other other teams. I would I would have the Rays and, and A's up high. I would probably be lower. I was gonna say I'd be lower on the Rangers just because we've seen them a lot, but at the same time they've come close without going all the way, and they, I, I could get behind rewarding them for for putting a good organization together. Um, did you even did you mention the Braves? Where did you have the Braves? Toward the bottom. Um, yeah, I've always yeah i I grew up hating the Braves uh-huh. for for some reason, um, and now I don't like the chop. And I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't like the smugness of their announcers, <laughs> but I, I do, I do like their front office and I do think that they put out a good product. I mean, the, what they do with, with young starting pitchers is amazing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I really, I respect their baseball ops a lot. They are kind of a team that I would probably root for if they were called like the, um, Durham magicians or something like that. Like if they just weren't in Atlanta and they weren't the Braves. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other thing that that Schoenfield mentioned in his piece, and it was just sort of an aside. He noted that uh, the AL has seven of the eight worst teams in attendance, in average attendance. The only uh-huh. NL team in the bottom eight is the Marlins. And I was trying to figure out whether this means anything. I was my initial suspicion is that it doesn't mean anything that it's just a 
AL teams happen to to be at the bottom there. It's I mean it's uh, let's see the bottom eight, starting from the bottom: Rays, Marlins, Indians, Astros, Royals, Mariners, A's, and White Sox. Um, I don't know what to to make of that really. Does that seem significant to you? Because I mean there are there are some very bad teams there. There are some very successful teams there who seems like should be drawing more. There are some some smaller markets in that group, but there are some some sort of medium size or smaller NL markets that are dry, drawing much better. So I I don't know. Does it 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 can't be anything inherent about AL NL difference, can it? Doesn't I'm, seem like I'm it. I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking, and it hasn't come to me. Yeah, I don't see it. I mean, it, it can't be. Uh, people don't like the DH, and so they're not coming to the games. Uh, it can't be a. I don't know, like a, like a Red Sox Yankees fatigue or something, where maybe there's a greater. I was going to say there's a greater payroll disparity between the the richest teams and the less rich teams. Although now the NL has the the Dodgers, so that doesn't work anymore. I I don't know. Nothing occurs to me. If anyone listening has any theories about why a bunch of AL teams are at the bottom in, in average attendance, uh, you can you can let us know. And there's there's also not a huge difference between uh, the teams when you rank them in attendance. Uh, Actually, I guess there's a there's a difference of about four thousand per game between the the eighth lowest and the and the ninth lowest, so that's sort of significant. But I don't know if anyone has any theories about that. Let us know. Uh, so we're done for today. Uh, some of you have sent us emails for tomorrow, but we could still use some more. So if you have questions, send them to podcast at baseballperspectus.com, and we will be back tomorrow.